Welcome to the Civil Squared Podcast, where we explore civil discourse and the free exchange of ideas. And now your host of the show, Dr. Jennifer K. Thompson. Hi there, and thanks for joining us. I'm really excited today to have you hear a conversation that I recently had with Grant Callen and Rebecca Painter. Grant is the CEO and founder of Empower Mississippi, and Rebecca is in leadership at the State Policy Network. Grant and Rebecca have many things in common, but the most important of which for our purposes is that they both love the places that they live and they want to see them get better and they want to improve circumstances for their families, for their neighbors, and for people around them. And we're going to talk about that in our discussion. Our discussion is going to focus on criminal justice reform. We've had a couple of episodes recently on various aspects of that, and this episode will continue that pattern. But we're going to talk specifically about Grant's organization, Empower Mississippi, and what they have done to help address challenges in criminal justice, in particular, in this case, mass incarceration. And you'll hear all about that, and we'll link in the show notes to content about the work that Empower Mississippi has done. Rebecca's joining us because she works with Grant's organization and other organizations like his all across the United States, and she's got a perspective of what's going on across the country. They both share a commitment to solving local challenges through local efforts, and they both share a commitment to working with people regardless of their ideology to make circumstances in their communities better. So I think you can get a lot of inspiration from their stories, from their work, and I hope from the conversation. First, let me welcome both Rebecca and Grant. Grant is joining us from Mississippi and Rebecca is joining us from South Carolina. So here we are in the 21st century being able to have a conversation like we're in the same room together. So thank you both for joining us. I want to start, Grant, with you. And I want to talk about your work, but also, I think importantly, you know, the fact that your work is is personal and um, you have this strong commitment to where you live. So you are a Mississippian. You're a sixth generation Mississippian. Mississippian is right. Is that right? You got it. Okay. Um, so you have lived most of your life, almost all your life in Mississippi? All okay. of my life. So I'm going to guess from that, that you like Mississippi. Otherwise, you would have left. <laughs> I do. You know, Mississippi is a special place. And yeah. we've got special people. And, you know, we have our challenges. But there's nowhere else that I would rather raise my kids. And, you know, my hope is that they grow up here and I, and I have five kids. I hope they grow up here and have every opportunity that I've had and are able to raise their kids here. Yeah. Yeah. See, I think that's, I mean, I think this is an important point to make because I think a lot of people in our audiences love the communities where they live um, and they want to make those communities better for their kids and for their kids, kids and all of that. And, uh, but that, doesn't mean that there are not problems in those communities. And, and I think our audience also wants to think about how they can address those problems. So first, I want to talk about the fact that you founded a think tank to help address challenges that people in Mississippi face. Can you talk a little bit about how that came to be um, and why you felt passionately enough to make this your career? 
Yeah, so Mississippi, as I said, is a special place. And I grew up here and really grew up with this chip on my shoulder about how I love this state. And yet we have so many challenges. And, you know, you look at all of the list and the state rankings, the, the list where you don't want to be on, we're at the top yeah. of the list. And the, the list where you, you do, we're at the bottom. And yet that's really wasn't my experience growing up. I had every opportunity and I got a great education and I had, I lived in a safe community and it was a small town America experience that I want everybody to have something like that. The challenge is as I've studied the issues in Mississippi, really about uh, a third of our state is doing well, two thirds are not. And so two thirds of Mississippians do not have a college degree two-thirds of Mississippians make less than 50,000. And so it's really a tale of two parts of the state where you have some that have access to great education and financial resources and, and social capital that do well and others struggle. And so really my quest has been, how do we capitalize and expand and add fuel to the fire of what's working in Mississippi while creating opportunity for everybody that doesn't have it today? And so that really was the, the mindset behind Empower Mississippi. We're coming up on eight years wow. in existence. You know, some people call us a think tank. Some mm -hmm. people call us an advocacy organization. We're really a solution center. Nice. We're focused like on, on building bridges to tackle Mississippi's biggest challenges. Very good. One of Mississippi's biggest challenges has to do with incarceration. Uh, so as I was looking through some of the materials on your website and doing a little bit of research, uh, I noticed that Mississippi, this is one of those places where you're at the top of the list that you don't want to be. Uh, in terms of incarceration, Mississippi has a higher rate of incarceration than in many actually industrialized countries, uh, which is, let's, let's be clear first that the United States is really number one in incarceration. There's a number one we don't really want to be in. Um, and, right. and, and to that point, the U.S. makes up 5% of the world's population, yeah. and we have nearly 25% of the world's prisoners. And, and Mississippi is only surpassed in that by Louisiana and not by a lot. But again, going back to this, let's, the, the kind of national level, you know, we had Michelle Sirocco, who is the um, chief social responsibility officer of Televerde on a few weeks ago on the podcast, and she, her company is a for-profit marketing company and they employ incarcerated women as employees. And we talked through that. But one of the things I remember in the course of that conversation was she said, you know, I don't remember the specifics, but she was quoting statistics on levels of incarceration in the United States. And one of the things she said was, given the number of people in the United States who are incarcerated, it's almost a certainty that you know someone who has been incarcerated or you know someone who someone, someone in their family has been incarcerated. That's how significant it is. In Mississippi, given that it's higher than the actual national kind of average, I think um, that's an even more pronounced problem. So this is one of the challenges I am, uh, that, that Empower Mississippi is looking for solutions to. Tell me a little bit though, just apart from like statistics and looking at the numbers, your own experience of this as you go through the state and as you think about this, what, are, what have you seen personally? Yeah, you know, I grew up with a really misguided view about our prison system. Um, I think I, th I thought everybody fits neatly into one of two groups. They're good people, 
and there are bad people and good people um, deserve to be out in society and bad people have done bad things and they need to be behind bars. And the longer, the better, the harsher the sentence, the better, because it's a it's going to create an incentive for other people not to, to do what they've done. And the more I've studied the system, the more I've realized that's just a wrong way to view the system. And it's an incredibly costly mistake, both in terms of the economic cost of keeping a prison population the size that Mississippi does and America does, but even more so, it's incredibly costly on the human beings and the families that are behind bars. And you know, the truth is there, there are people that do horrific things that are dangerous to society, um, that deserve to be behind bars, some for their whole lives. Um, but you know, I had the opportunity to visit Parchman Prison a few years ago, and we spent a day in this, you know, legendary Mississippi prison with pretty horrendous conditions. Uh, you know, you think about the the heat in Mississippi, and this is an unair conditioned prison in the Mississippi Delta where the heat index gets into the you know, hundreds and 120s at times. Um, and sure, there are people behind those bars who have done horrific things that deserve to be there. But what I didn't realize is how many people are really there because of an addiction issue. Mm. Uh, and instead of getting medical treatment or uh, care, they got sent to prison. And you know they broke a law. And for some, they deserve to be there. But I think we once had this notion that sending people with drug problems or addiction issues to prison, they would at least sober up or mm. they, would, they, would, they would have a chance to dry out. And what actually ends up happening is there are more drugs and substances, illegal substances in our prisons than there are outside. Yeah. And so it doesn't actually work. And so we take people who weren't hardened criminals and you put them in a, in a prison aside, you know, right next to somebody who maybe is a hardened criminal, and they're going to learn what it's like to be a hardened criminal. And when you take somebody who, yes, they broke a law, and maybe they deserve to be behind bars for a few years, but you give them a 20-year sentence for, for smoking pot, um, or 30-year sentence or something else, or in, in Mississippi's situation, we had somebody recently who um, received an exorbitant sentence because he had six boxes of Sudafed in his car mm -hmm. that was a, deemed to be a precursor to meth. Yep, yep. So it's a real problem. It costs a lot to keep so many people behind bars. And that's really one of the reasons at Empower, we wanted to work on this. Yeah. And you know, I think we're gonna talk about some of the results because yep. it's one of those places where I'm convinced people of goodwill can come together across the political spectrum and still get something done. And yeah. a lot of work needs to be done. We talked to uh, Greg Newburn, who's now at uh, the Niskanen Center, but prior to that, he was at Families Against Mandatory Minimums. And one of the things he said was that criminal justice reform is really, truly a bipartisan, one of, the, one of the few bipartisan issues because it affects all of us so much. And I think it's an interesting point that you made, because I do think a lot of people, when they hear about mass incarceration and concerns about that and the costs, think, well, you know, if, if, if that may be the case, but we really shouldn't have bad people out on the street. When people commit crimes, they should be punished for them. And I think, and the reason I mentioned Greg is because we were talking about the increase in the homicide rate uh, and calls for policing reform. And if we look at this as an either or thing, either 
I believe, defund the police or back the blue, we're not going to make any progress on this, right? If we look at incarceration as there's either, it's either the case that there's bad people in prison and they should always be there, or we should, you know, find ways to make, you know, we should be more lenient or whatever. We're not going to get anywhere. I mean, what really I think is relevant in a way is that whatever you think, there are so many people in prison. It is so costly. And whatever we, we need to think about what we're trying to achieve in incarceration, because when people get out of prison, the recidivism rate is very high. Um, this is one of the reasons we talked to Michelle, uh, because you know, you can do your time, you can get out of prison, and then you can't get a job because nobody wants to hire somebody and you haven't gained any skills, right? Or you've gained skills that are not skills that are really marketable right. in, the, right. in the legal market. I want to bring Rebecca in here before we go on to some of the specifics of what you've done, uh, Grant, and Empower Mississippi, because, you know, you talked about Empower Mississippi being a solutions organization. I think, you know, a lot of people don't realize that there are other organizations like yours all over the country. And Rebecca, at the State Policy Network, you're working with these organizations. So if you could give us a little bit of background on like, are there organizations like Empower Mississippi in every state? Um, what are they doing? You know, when we talk about think tanks, I think a lot of people think about DC, but that's, that's not the whole picture, right? It's not the whole picture. And I really at this point, don't even like the word think tank. I love yeah. what Grant just said about solution centers. The best way I can explain it, and, and I love what you just said about, you know, it feels like people are either for the police or they're against them, right? Yeah. Uh, and Grant said that in the past, he felt like, well, if you're in prison, right, there's good people and bad people and bad people are in prison. But we all know, and what I think most Americans know is that not everything is that black mm -hmm. and white. And it feels like we are all just fighting all the time and against each other, especially in matters of politics and policy, but that's not the reality. I mean, that's why we're all here today. That's why your listeners are tuning in. And what we do here at State Policy Network is that we're connecting leaders in all 50 states who are working to get beyond all of that. So picture a grant, sometimes more than just one leader, and every state working on these issues. And the one thing that these leaders have in common is that they believe very strongly that some of the biggest problems facing Americans today can be solved at the state and local level. So they're not just sitting around waiting for whoever's in the White House to solve their problems or make their lives better. And so the real beauty of this network and the power behind it is that while every state is different and so are the people living in them, a lot of states face similar challenges, right? A lot of states are facing the same Challenges as Mississippi, you mentioned Louisiana. I know for sure that Grant is talking with his colleague, Daniel Erspalmer in Louisiana about what they've been through on criminal justice reform. And so they're connecting and learning for, from each other so that these good policies can be tweaked, tailored and replicated to other states at a faster rate and help more people. Yeah, I think that's, a, I also think this is a really good point. The idea of connecting across different states. I mean, on the one hand, Grant, you know problems in Mississippi and the prospects for solutions in Mississippi better than someone who's in Washington, D.C. or in Indianapolis or Louisiana or whatever. That doesn't mean that people in those places can't learn from the work that you're doing and then sort of tailor it to their own needs. So let's let's go into some of the specifics of, we've talked a little bit about mass incarceration uh, as one of the challenges uh, people in Mississippi are facing and the cost of it and the impact. Grant, what have you found to be solutions um, that Empower Mississippi can help with 
And as you're talking about that, I'd love it if you would also kind of think about how this is something that you can bring lots of people together. It's a problem that affects lots of people, but that doesn't always mean that it's easy in kind of our polarized world to get people of different ideologies together to address those problems in the same way. Well, criminal justice reform is something that affects everybody, whether you have a family member behind bars or not. 95% um, of people that are currently behind bars will one day be released. Mm. And so it's in all of our interest that when they do, they're best positioned to get a job, get back into society, find meaningful work and contribute. And to the degree that we fail, you're right, the recidivism rate just uh, continues to balloon. So part of, for us, the solution is, uh, one of the solutions is about parole reform. And, you know, prior to 1994, nearly everyone in prison in Mississippi was eligible for parole mm -hmm. after serving 25% of their sentence or 10 years. And that was pretty common across the country. And in the mid nineties, there was this, um, uh, notion that came out of, I think part of it was the drug war, some mm -hmm. of it was rising crime rates, but there was this tough on crime approach that said we need to drop the hammer and we need to put people away, anybody who breaks any crime, large or small, for long, harsh sentences. And Mississippi was not immune from that. And so mm -hmm. in 1995, Mississippi joined the ranks of states who moved to abolish parole reform and create some mandatory sentences for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. So we tried in, uh, we began an effort in 2020 to address that. And we worked with a broad coalition of House members and Senate members and organizations on the right and on the left to address this in Mississippi. And we, we put together a parole reform bill that would create, uh, would allow new categories of offenses not to be automatically released, but to simply have their situation considered for parole. Because currently there's far too many people behind bars in Mississippi that don't even have the chance for the parole board to look at their situation and see if they've served a sufficient sentence. So we, we really spent a year at the beginning of the pandemic working on a bill that would allow new categories to be eligible for parole. And it was a great effort. Uh, the bill worked its way through the House and through the Senate, and uh, it was it was at times controversial and at times it, it seemed to sail smoothly. Um, but a lot of people came out of the woodworks to participate, mm -hmm. and it truly was. In the Senate, we had a Democrat lawmaker who led the fight, along with some help from his Republican colleagues. In the House, it was mostly a Republican-led effort, but they worked together, mm -hmm. and the bill passed the legislature, and it landed on the governor's desk. And he had a number of days before he had to act on it. And on, uh, he had um, on deadline day, he had until midnight to act. A few minutes before 10 p.m., we started getting worried because his staff was not talking to us mm. and been real silent. And a few minutes before, or actually a few minutes after 10 p.m., Governor Tate Reeves vetoed this bill that had been a year in the works and mm. big coalition. And we were devastated. Yeah. So we went back to work after the veto. We did a post-mortem to try and determine really what was the challenge? Why mm -hmm. did he veto it? And what can we do to overcome his objections for next year? 
And really one of the significant problems we identified was this bill was not seen as significantly conservative in a deeply red state like Mississippi. Hmm. Um, and you know, that's interesting because our approach at Empower is always, we would rather build a bipartisan gr uh, group of lawmakers to work on something. And, and we're a conservative organization, believe in free markets. I'm a conservative, but our approach is we'd rather work across the aisle. Um, but sometimes the political realities are that you've got to have an issue branded and labeled, and it's got to be cheer-led by conservatives. And this mm -hmm. bill didn't seem to be that way by a number of people. And so we brought a coalition together after the veto of in-state and national organizations. Um, something like 30 different groups got together, and they sat in our conference room upstairs, and we talked about what would it take to get this bill across the finish line in 2021. And one of the things that was so powerful about this group is they really set their, um, their own brand and their own need for attention and their own wanting to sort of be the face of this reform aside. They set a lot of that aside so that groups on the left said, you know, we want to see this pass and it's okay if Republicans get credit for passing it. And uh, Republicans said, well, we want to see it passed, but we're going to, we want to work together to make sure that it has the right brand and the right face. And so it was another year in the works. We had citizens from across the state come together and tell their story, tell their story about the impact of long, harsh sentences. They came to and testified before the legislature. Um, we really had lawmakers on the left side of the aisle work carefully with Republicans to make sure Republicans uh, led on this and Republicans were the ones that really gave face to this. And the end result is it passed with even stronger margins in the House and the Senate. More Republicans in both chambers voted to pass this and it landed on the governor's desk and uh, a few months ago, he signed it. Mm -hmm. and it went into law, uh, went into effect on July 1st. And okay. today in Mississippi, there's 5,700 new people who are now eligible for parole. And again, that doesn't mean automatic release. Right. This is 5,700 people who are currently behind bars who will now have their situation considered to see if they're ready to uh, be given their freedom and, and be paroled. So it's a, it's a great win. And really, to me, the hero, uh, the heroes of this story are all the different entities and individuals who put their partisanship and their, in some ways, their political ideology aside and came together to get something done that has an outcome that we can all support. And I'm yeah. really proud of that. Yeah. Well, I think you should be really proud of that. And I think it's probably a really good story for people to hear because I do think, I mean, I think most people in our audience are not, um, certainly not oblivious to the challenges that their communities face. But I, I suspect many people have sort of a deep pessimism or cynicism about the prospects of change through political action because political rhetoric is so toxic because it is, it does seem to be, you know, just, just, um, I don't know. I mean, uh, it just seems to be something that is um, 
discouraging, like you don't want to have to take political action. So or whether you want to take political action or not, you don't think you can achieve anything. So I think it's important for people to hear that you can get people across the aisle talking to each other and working together to affect these solutions that you're talking about. So not thinking about lobbying, but thinking about what are the solutions for those two thirds of people in Mississippi who are not doing well. Yeah, I mean, I think people on the right and the left are incredibly frustrated. They're deeply demoralized about the current political climate. Uh, you know, we look around and we see real challenges facing people, real challenges that everyday people face. And we look at Washington and they're screaming at each other and they're demonizing each other. And, you know, I'm convinced if we listen to people well and if we spend time with people outside of our political tribe, I do think we can learn from one another and we can find common ground. Because when you get to that, uh, there's a vast swath of middle America, and I mean that sort of on the political spectrum, right. that aren't far right or far left. They just wanna see yeah. their kids get a great education. They wanna see great jobs. They wanna see access to affordable healthcare. They want safe streets and healthy communities. Like that's not a Republican thing. That's not a Democrat thing. No, that's what we all want. Absolutely, absolutely. But I think we just have to step back from the political rhetoric, or maybe rise above it, and say, what are the outcomes that we can we can find people who agree with, and then let's learn from people on the political on the other other side politically, maybe about about where they're coming from. Yeah, we might disagree on how to get there. But if we start from what's the outcome we're trying to get to, I think we'll find we, there's, there's, a, there's a lot more agreement than there is disagreement in America Absolutely. about the way forward. Yeah, and Jennifer, I think the word yeah. you were looking for is that you know politics can be exhausting yeah. for people who aren't in the world that, we're, that Grant and I are working in. And so you've seen, I, I've been a part of this network for a really long time and I've seen in the last few years in particular, a shift in the mindset of the leaders who are on the ground working in their states, because it used to be we would pass a policy and take a victory lap and say, woohoo, we're so awesome. Right. But what we realized is that our policies sometimes don't work in the last mile. They're not actually helping the people that we thought that they would help. And so you're starting to see this shift, like what Grant just talked about, and starting to get to know the people who will be most affected by the policy change we're trying to make, and to listen to them and to help make sure that we're crafting it the right way. And so the more leaders on the ground, like Grant, are talking with people in their states and in these communities and getting a better understanding, mostly listening, not as much talking, oh, yeah. I think the stronger the policy becomes. And then you can rely on folks like Grant to help pull that policy lever that can remove a barrier and change everything for people. Yeah, so, I love I love that point, by the way, just about the listening. We say this a lot, like conversation involves both speaking and listening and that we forget that part of it often. Sorry, Grant, I interrupted you. What were you going to say? No, I was just going to echo that's such a great point about engaging those who will benefit from a particular policy. And we, on, on both sides of the aisle, haven't done that very well. But it's, I learned so much from the people who aren't always politically engaged, but they have a problem. And when they articulate the problem, it doesn't always sound like a political talking point, but you learn nuances to the problem that matter as we craft solutions. Yeah. And if you're crafting solutions in a vacuum without talking to people in the trenches every day, you're, 
you're a, a political uh, animal instead of a real solution center. Right. Totally. Yeah. I think that's great. And that's why I love the way you talk about solutions as opposed to, you know, policy per se. So Rebecca, can we talk a little bit about you, since you are working um, with organizations across the country, have you seen successes like Grant's talking about, particularly when bringing people together from across the spectrum? We're seeing more and more of that. I mean, I think there are a couple of things that come to mind. Uh, when the pandemic hit, for example, I mean, we had in this network, Republican and, and Democratic governors alike coming to our leaders across all 50 states and asking for help because they needed to figure out how to get more beds in hospitals, how to get licenses to doctors in Georgia so that they could fly to New York and help. I mean, there are all of these really big life or death challenges standing in the way and they were asking for help. And so this network was ready. We already had the solutions because we'd already talked with patients and doctors and people who are apolitical to figure out what would actually be a sensible way to have accessible, affordable healthcare reforms in the States. Jennifer, in 17 days, we saw more healthcare reforms during the pandemic than we had in the last decade. Mm. And that's because the network was ready. You know, and even more recently, we had a, uh, another reform pass in Utah that's going to help get people jobs fairly quickly. It uh, is going to set some deregulation for new entrepreneurs that's, you know, starting businesses. They'll still have regulations on health and safety, but some of the more arcane, uh, outdated regulations will be lifted for a period of time. And this is the kind of thing that could be a game changer. So that's another solution that came from people who wanted to start businesses, people who had put their life savings into a business and to get started only to realize regulations crushed them and made them shut down, right? Mm -hmm. Again, this isn't about someone who's a Republican or Democrat. It's about someone who wants to start a job and employ people. And that's a great example of a policy that's not going to live and die in Utah, but is now being uh, tweaked and shared across the network. And you're seeing other states uh, also implement that same policy or or on the verge of it. So there's a lot of really promising stuff like that ahead. And then specifically in terms of like criminal justice, um, I'm sure what Grant and Empower Mississippi have accomplished is really, really significant. Um, And I know, I know it's not just the parole reform that that, that you've done, Grant, you've got other initiatives that you've been addressing in terms of criminal justice. Uh, but are there examples across the country where you're seeing good things happening on criminal justice reform too, Rebecca? Yeah, I think, let me back up and tell you how criminal justice reform started. Uh, because I like to think of State Policy Network as the ultimate convener of people who wanna solve problems at the state and local level. And you saw this happen in 2007 when our leaders in Texas at the Texas Public Policy Foundation launched Right on Crime. So Right on Crime was their massive initiative where they said, we're going to reform criminal justice for all the reasons and then some that you just heard from Grant. in the last few years, these guys have worked with, and gals have worked with everyone from our very own Grant Callen, right, who we're hearing from right now, to Kim right. Kardashian, all right? They were able to leverage relationships in the network in order to move so many states towards reforms. I just looked at the, at the data this morning. In the last five years, more than 20 state leaders have been working on criminal justice, and you've seen some big ones recently in Pennsylvania, Texas, Utah, Wisconsin, and of course, Mississippi. Everything from making sure that these guys get out of prison and can have a license to get a job. Um, mm-hmm. And you also see in places like Georgia, where they're having a criminal justice reform that removes barriers so that these people can get jobs. I mean, jobs are such a key factor 
right to getting out of prison and, and having a and staying, staying out of prison. Yeah. 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 And the best thing about it, you know, Brent, you mentioned how back in the 90s, there was all this federal legislation to be tough on crime. The whole point of these state solutions is that we want them to make a national impact. And in this particular instance from the Texas Public Policy Foundation's run on crime start back in 2007, a few years ago, even DC took notice of the bad policies they themselves have implemented and they actually removed them, right? Mm -hmm. Like how often does that happen? Not very so, often. <laughs> this criminal justice stuff, I mean, and again, I mentioned Kim Kardashian, how often do we see her talking about our think tanky issues, right? Like this is, you know, right, right. this just shows how this stuff can really take off and make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's great. Um, Grant, uh, just I want to I wanna bring us back to what the audience can actually do. But before we do that, are there any other, um, you know, sort of initiatives efforts that you've taken in Empower Mississippi along these lines that you want to just give a shout out to so our listeners know about them? Yeah, our, our approach really is we believe every Mississippian can rise. So we work to remove barriers to opportunity in three areas, education, work, and justice. And like I said, I have five kids. And when I think about what we want for Mississippi, it's what I want for my kids. A great education for every child, meaningful work for every adult, and justice for all. And so in each of those areas, there are things we're doing specifically in the education space to create more opportunity for kids to get a world-class education. And in work, you know, so often work is talked about as like drudgery or punishment or bad in our, in our culture. And work is a great thing. Work provides all kinds of meaning and purpose. But not every job provides that. And mm -hmm. so we want to talk about work in ways that are life-giving and help people get connected into meaningful work that does provide perfect purpose and give them a reason to get out of bed in the morning. And yeah. it, it's remarkable how many public policy created barriers get in the way of these things. Yep. And you know, a, a lot of these are, that, that wasn't the intent, but unintended consequences of well-meaning policy create a lot of challenges. Absolutely. And, you know, the, the, I was just gonna add on, State Policy Network is in such the sweet spot to facilitate a lot of these conversations amongst state groups. You know, we're focused in Mississippi, but sometimes if you have your head down and you're focused on your state, you don't have the opportunity to learn about what's happening in other states that we could adapt here. And so pretty much everything we've done here is something we learned from a success story in another state mm. that we can get done here. And so SPN brings us together. They bring, they have CEO cohorts where we work with other CEOs who run similar organizations in other states. They have an annual meeting. Um, it's a great way to make sure we're sharing best practices, learning from one another, and, and celebrating the wins across the country. Mm -hmm. So so I want to, I even on your website, I was looking at your website and you had, and I don't remember exactly where it was, but you had a quote from Stephen Brackett. Uh, and it said, there are those that hope you change and there are those that help you change. Now, I think the people in our audience are the kind of people who want to do more than hope. They really want to help change. So I'm going to put this question to both you and Rebecca, but I'm going to start with you. Because, you know, we spend so much ink, um, you know, page views, whatever it is, on things at the national level, at problems 
that are looked at at the national level. And here you are, somebody who loves the place you live, who wants to make it better. Now, I, you know, I'm not taking anything away from what you've done, but I'm guessing that the average person probably is not going to see their path as I'm going to start an organization and I'm going to motivate across the state, you know, and all that. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I just don't think that everybody can do it, which is a testament to what you've done. But if, if I'm in my community, I'm somebody who's got a full-time job, I've got kids, you know, I'm worried about paying my bills, all these things, but I do really care about this. And I want to do more than hope. I want to help. What kind of advice would you give our listeners wherever they are, as they think about these challenges in their communities, what can they do that's actually reasonable within the constraints that they have? Yeah, I think there's some very specific sort of granular things that I'll mention. But before I do, I would say step back from if you feel discouraged or demoralized about the political climate, step back from your intake of media or social media or whatever it is that's feeding that 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 discouragement because it's real. And I talk to people every day who feel that. And sometimes when you step back from where you're getting your media, and then I would say, don't just step back, but then replace it with sit down with some people you disagree with. Take somebody to coffee who's in another political party who thinks differently. If you're white, go find an African-American to sit down. If you're black, go find a white person or a a Hispanic, learn about somebody else's experience and ask great questions. Be curious about how they arrived at their political conclusions. It it is amazing how life-giving those conversations can be in this political climate. But then secondly, I would say there's lots of ways that you can get involved in organizations like mine or State Policy Network or other organizations around the country. Um, we, We have an ambassador program in Mississippi because it's a place for people who say, you know, I may not be able to write a check, but I want to engage on the policy issues where you're trying to get something done. And so we, we bring people in, we provide training, we, we often tell their story about what their, what's their, their particular public policy challenge, and we give them the tools so that they have a platform to advocate for change. There's nothing more powerful to lawmakers than when an ordinary citizen steps up, tells their story and advocates for change, that's far more powerful than a paid lobbyist walking the halls of the Capitol. So it, yeah. if, you, if you wanna help us in Mississippi, go to our website, I'm sure it'll be in the show notes. Yep, we'll put it in the show notes for sure. Check it out, uh, empowermississippi.org and uh, just reach out. There's lots of ways on the website to reach us. We'd love to hear from you. Absolutely, awesome. And Rebecca, I'm gonna put the same question to you largely because you have so much knowledge about organizations across the country that are doing this. So again, regardless of where a listener is, if they wanna be one of those people who is really doing something to help, um, but they're worried, you know, there's, there's not a lot I can do. Maybe I'm not rich enough to donate to an organization that's doing the um, things that I want to be, see done. I don't have a lot of time. You know, what, what advice do you have, Rebecca? Jennifer, I love this question and I've been thinking about it a lot because really this is where everything comes together for us, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it does all depend on time and how much of it you have. The one thing I tell everyone is that you've got to first accept the fact that your communities are more powerful than you might think. We can change things and it starts locally. So 
we're all working, walking around staring down at our phones. And every time I look at my phone, I just get mad. I mean, this myth of this country being super duper polarized yeah, yeah. comes from our phones, right? And it comes mm-hmm. from talking heads on the news, but I don't buy it anymore because I started to talk to my neighbors. I started recently talking to people in line at the grocery store, something I never, ever used to do, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, I just started engaging with people in my community and I started to realize that we have a lot more in common than I thought originally and that we can do things about it. So I recently moved to Charleston, South Carolina, and I was here you know, just blazing and ready to talk to all my neighbors about education reform because I've got a two-year-old and now I'm just fired up mm-hmm. about it. Um, And what I learned pretty quickly is that people around my neighborhood don't care a whole lot about education reform. They do care an awful lot about the lack of parking at the beach. Mm. And so you know who's fired up about that now? This girl, right? (laughs) Because it is a real problem I found. And so it doesn't matter what the problems are. There's so many problems in different communities. I mean, that one's a bit of a silly one. But the point is, when you listen to your neighbors, you can get involved and you can make changes, no matter how big or how small the challenge you guys are facing. So if you have some time, I would say get on SPN.org. You can click onto your state. You can find who the grant talent is in your state and which organizations are on the ground there that can help you. And there's all kinds of different levels of involvement from just signing up to read their emails so that you can engage in conversation and understand what's going on to getting involved and testifying in front of your state legislatures. Um, and or if you're just a person who is uh, working in in some kind of field that's got a lot of policy challenges where you feel like you can't be as effective as you could be, talk to people like Grant. Again, there's at least one in every state and they wanna hear from you so that we can pull that policy lever and change things. Awesome. Yeah, I think it's really, really important the way you just described that, Rebecca. And we've heard this over and over again from people that we've interviewed. When we ask this question, a lot of times the answer is, look, just saying you're concerned about this is important, right? We sometimes forget the value of raising our hands and saying, I care about this, or even talking with people we know so that there's more awareness of whatever the issue is. And I think it's also really important to note, uh, and Grant, you sort of alluded to this earlier, you know, you talked about being a conservative organization and being in favor of free markets and that. And um, I know people, we, we like to put things into boxes, you know, whether things are on the right or the left, but I think, uh, I suspect both of you would agree with me that you care less about how you're identified where you are on the political spectrum than doing exactly what you've been talking about, Grant, which is solving problems. Like, um, you know, your example, it, who's getting credit for it is far less important I think, than the fact that the problems are being solved, that they're being solved or being addressed, um, or even that we're just talking about it in our communities so that there's some likelihood that something will happen. Greg Newburn, when he was talking about um, policing reform and crime said, if we are so focused on saying it's either this or that, we're just not gonna make any progress. Uh, and so I love the advice to you know, talk to people at the supermarket, talk to people who are, um, you know, uh, in your community and seeking out people of different opinions. Well, I think Jennifer, at least from what I've seen in the last few years in particular, I'm, I'm pleased to say I've seen the beginnings of a mindset shift where I think people um, for a long time got themselves into a sticky situation 
where, especially, I mean, this happens in the center right all the time where you come and you say, oh, you've got a problem. I've got this big bag of medicine. I've got all the answers and I'm just going to throw it all at you and force it down your throat. And what we've realized is that, you know what? We don't have all the answers. And the shift in mindset has forced us to take a more diagnostic approach where we're, again, listening to people and trying to deepen our understanding instead of just thinking we've got all the answers. Because if we had all the answers, this country would be in a much better place. That's true. That's totally true. Yeah. And so much of that starts with humility and a genuine curiosity about the people around us and what makes them tick. And how did they arrive at their political views or their worldview? How did they get there? That's, that's a really healthy thing for all of us to have that genuine curiosity. Absolutely. Boy, I could not have said that better myself. Um, I feel like, you know, you guys are ringers for Civil Squared, given the message here. So <laughs> we really appreciate your time. We will link in the show notes, both to Empower Mississippi and to the State Policy Network, um, and some specifics about the work that you both described here. But we really appreciate your time, and we appreciate the work that you're both doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Enjoyed it. We will link in the show notes to a number of the things we discussed in our conversation with Grant and with Rebecca. And I hope you'll check them out, particularly the Empower Mississippi website, because they have a number of videos and uh, stories about people, individuals who have been affected by the laws and the policies that we discussed. I think as usual, there are many things that are useful to take away from this conversation, but the thing I am going to be thinking about is something that we discussed near the end there. And that really is that if we want to see progress, if we want to have an impact on our communities, we we have to focus on what it is that we all share in common in terms of what we want to see happen. Um, And then we work backwards from that to the the practical steps we need to take. If we are so focused on how your opinion is different than mine or how you're, you know, of this political party and I'm of this political party, then things don't get done. Uh, Good legislation gets vetoed because it doesn't sound like it's conservative enough or liberal enough. At the end of the day, do we care about whether conservatives or liberals win? I guess, can't see me, but I'm putting that in quotes. Or do we care about actual change in our communities that helps more people, as um, Grant talked about, instead of just one third of the state, but three thirds of the state doing well? Things that will really help people do better getting done require activity, not pigeonholing who sits where on the ideological spectrum. And I think this conversation really made me think about that. And I think it makes me think, am I doing that in my own views of various issues? And how can I ensure that I focus more on being a helper and less on being just a helper? Thanks for joining us. And if you enjoyed the conversation, I really hope you'll take a moment wherever you get the podcast to rate and review us. Because if you do that, more people will know about it and more people can join the conversation. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Civil Squared Podcast, where we explore civil discourse and the free exchange of ideas. We'll see you next time for another conversation.